David Paul Baird is a film critic and visiting professor at Catholic Pacific College. His new book with two co-authors is Popcorn with the Pope, a guide to the Vatican film list. That's our topic today. Welcome, Professor Baird. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Uh, first, there really is a list. <laughs> uh, it, it, well, what's the history of this list? So the list was born uh, in 1995 to celebrate the 100th anniversary of cinema. So the Pope at the time was John Paul II. He set up a commission of various uh, priests there in the Vatican, one layperson. And yeah, after a series of meetings, they put together a list to really just celebrate cinema as an art form. And, and there must have been people on that initial list who had some pretty good film knowledge because... The selections are pretty good. I mean, there are a lot of serious filmmaking, some, you know, popular entertainment, but there, there are a lot of film art, renowned things that would be studied, you know, in film theory, film schools that are on the list. So they, they were pretty good. Do you know of the people who were involved? So not off the top of my head, I don't have the, the, uh, the names of everyone, but that they were various people, yeah, university professors, high rating curates uh, there in, in Vatican City. So yeah, as you say, uh, this wasn't just a kind of cursory survey of the recent top of the pops. This was a kind of uh, deep dive into the cinema, uh, history of cinema and pulling out uh, some really landmark films, notable films, as you say, some lesser known, more obscure art house films. So it's really a pretty interesting collection. What 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 was there a primary principle of selection? I mean, do they have to be Catholic films? Do they have to? I mean, what what were some of the premises, the criteria that would let films on or or not? So I dare say that the early discussions were probably fairly wide ranging, trying to answer this exact question of what what exactly were they trying to do with the list. Interestingly, what it ended up being was or ended up being divided into three categories. Uh, so religion. Uh, values and art. And one of the interesting things about this tripartite division, I think, is that it suggests that we can approach and appreciate cinema in more than one way. So certainly the first category of films are uh, explicitly religious films, a couple depictions of the life of Christ, saints. Um, But then the other two uh, categories, morals and art, uh, approach the cinema and, and the selection in a different way. So a whole selection of 15 films uh, who, where we might find kind of crossover with Christian values without an explicitly Christian subtext. Uh, so for instance, um, the film Gandhi makes it on that list. Uh, great film, by the way. And then um, under the category of art, su- suggests that we can appreciate these things just as like a great work of art. Like you guys <clears throat> might go to an art museum to see a really great painting or statue, we can appreciate cinema in a similar way. So like Citizen Kane, for example, makes it uh, into that category. Um, the, the, one of the great first science fiction movies, Metropolis, makes it in there. So yeah, it's, it's a wide-ranging list that approaches uh, cinema from a variety of angles. And does the identity or character of the director or screenwriter come into play? 
I think we can probably safely answer that with a resounding no. <laughs> I don't think every director, cinematographer, screenwriter uh, who, whose work made it on the list led an exemplary life. But that's also, I think, interesting in that suggests that the the selectors of these of these movies weren't being, in a sense, like overly nitpicky or scrupulous about the personalities involved, but really looking at what they were able to generate these really like great, remarkable films. So before getting into specific films, is there a general aim or purpose for, for the book? What, what do you want people to do with this book? I mean, is this sort of a guide? Watch these films? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the book was born, I would say, from uh, a conversation that I had with one of my good friends in grad school. A, a good Polish friend with a great Polish last name, Jegoś Wojtyła. <laughs> and uh, he, he told me about this list after uh, we'd talked several times about movies. I was writing my PhD on film and other things. And he said, well, you know, you might be interested in this list. So I started uh, watching through them, enjoying them. <clears throat> and notably, my reaction when he first told me about the list was, I didn't even know there was such a list. <laughs> and this yeah. refrain uh, ended up being like the standard reaction I always got when I would ask anyone else about the list. So mm -hmm. I'm doing a PhD in theology and culture, talking to other people who you'd think if anyone knew about the list, these people would know about the list. And I think without exception, the reaction I always got was, oh, I had no idea that such a list even existed. And so yeah. after hearing this 20, 30, 50 times, I began to think, you know, more people might like to know just that this list exists and that there's the attitude behind it um, is that there's a kind of official Catholic view on like appreciating cinema and cinema being like yeah. a good thing in the world. So I said that's the primary purpose of the book, just to so just so for people to know that these that this list is out there, and then to help people to help people appreciate and be eased into some of these films, which are not, as you've already mentioned, oftentimes the kind of standard blockbuster cinematic fare. So trying to give you yeah. a little bit of a, a leg up into appreciating this, this wide-ranging list of films. And, and the Vatican didn't do much with film before this? Uh, I mean, what, So film was mentioned uh, in different kind of encyclicals and uh, papal exhortations. And in the introduction of the book, we give a brief survey of that. But this is the first real, in a sense, commendation and kind of encouragement to engage with cinema, I think that we yeah. get from the Vatican. Now, there was a list of condemned films put out by the Legion of Decency, right. right? Yeah. What was that? So in, in, the, in the kind of older spirit of the, the official church trying to, in a sense, police um, the cultural culture around. So we had the index of prohibited books from the kind of maybe, I don't know the exact history, but early modern period. And, and in the kind of early days of cinema, first half of the 20th century, there was a kind of parachurch organization that you mentioned, um, Slegion of Decency, that was trying to do something similar. So like, hey, no Catholic, no, no person of good conscience should be watching XYZ uh, yeah. movie. And this, this was a bit of a thing for a while in the early 20th century. And the, the list that we have now, that's the subject of this book, is really, in a sense, the opposite list. <laughs> 
yeah, which is yeah. not so much like not at all saying like avoid these films but saying hey productively engage with consider like watching these movies professor bear do you want to give just a a, a little uh, acknowledgement of your two co-authors oh absolutely yeah so uh, my two authors andrew predipin and father michael ward um father michael ward is a good friend of mine going back to oxford days we spent many an evening watching and enjoying and discussing films so it was a natural selection to uh to ask him to join the project and along the way we had the privilege also to uh join with andrew predipin who was at the time um the word on fire kind of uh main movie critic so yeah we the the films you'll find entries from from all three of us in, in this book Right, right, yeah, yeah. Each of you t- do do different films. I'm, I'm going to ask about some of the ones that you you covered. Why is the uh, film 1950s film on the waterfront on the list? Why, why, why is that? Why is that watchable for us? So I love this movie. I'm glad that you brought it up first. It's uh, it's probably a great place to start if anyone listening wants to do a kind of like faith and film club or study. It's a great one to start with because it's both watchable and I think profoundly moving. It's on the values uh, section of the list and features a a young strapping Marlon Brando as a kind of down and out dock worker in New York City who uh, gets kind of involved in the underworld there, the kind of criminal underworld and has to kind of figure out what he what he thinks what's he going to do morally in in that situation it features the the famous uh, cinematic tagline i could have been a contender <laughs> yeah 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 and uh and also really notably features what i think is one of the really great priests to show up on the silver screen right right carl malden hmm. yeah 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 so it's really impressive based on a real life priest uh in hmm. in the I think 1950s New York City there at the time, uh, who was really involved in helping the the dock workers organize and kind of I don't know what the right um, way to say it is, but but kind of come up out of being oppressed from, by yeah. the but with a criminal element and the kind of unscrupulous commercial element. Um, right. So kind of a, a priest there who's basically trying to remind the dock workers of their fundamental human dignity. Uh, so it's really like beautiful to see this representation that actually has a, a real life historical referent as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's great that you go back to the silent era. You mentioned Metropolis. I think that was what, 25, 27. Yes. Uh, the right. Fritz Lang film. Uh, but you go back earlier to D.W. Griffith's film and Griffith has such a, 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 a hard reputation because of Birth of a Nation, but a lot of people don't know that one year after Birth of a Nation, he did Intolerance, which really has pretty much the opposite moral message that that, that the pro-Klan movie of 1915. Hmm. Why? I think it's a magnificent achievement, uh, that, that, that film. And I think it's on YouTube. I can see the whole thing now on, on YouTube. But uh, why, why did you choose it? Why, why, does, why, why does that film in Griffith merit inclusion? So just just to clarify, like uh, my co-authors, I, we didn't choose the list. Uh, the, the Vatican uh, people chose the. the oh, oh, of course, right, right. right. <laughs> so, so so we were offering commentary on the list that they chose. You can only speculate as to why they chose each one. They didn't offer a, a commentary on that. But some of the notable things about 
uh, intolerance is one it was just a grand spectacle other than anything else going back to that golden era of cinema when maybe they didn't quite hadn't quite figured out the formula yet of like how to make a movie profitable so they're just like <laughs> throwing money at these movies i think even to this day the i think intolerance has the boasts the second largest film set ever to be like shot in a movie they basically yeah. built like a whole fortress and castle like seven stories tall and then right. knocked part of it down and so it's pretty extraordinary to see but as you say uh, the values are probably really what kind of cinched it in amongst the kind of competitors. And part of the purpose of the movie is to go back and survey, as the title suggests, various forms of kind of prejudicial behavior and intolerance and pe basically people behaving badly to each other across time and to suggest a kind of different approach. So one of the four subplots in the film does follow the life of Christ. And so going back to Jesus as a kind of exemplar of an alternate way of approaching being a person in society. And I think one of the really interesting things about the film is its immediate kind of historical context, which would have been following not long after the First World War. And so I think the film in a way offers a, a commentary on the kind of values that are necessary to be revived um, after this grand kind of global conflict. So a kind of grand artistic creative act in response to this kind of grand destructive act of war that had been going on immediately prior. Huh. You've got two Roberto Rossellini films here, Rome, Open City, and The, the Flowers of St. Francis. And the first film, Città Aperta, has a pretty shocking scene involving a priest, doesn't it? What happens there? So the context of this movie is the uh, second, set in Second World War, the uh, Nazi regime has invaded Rome and Vatican City and is uh, in the process of doing their thing of rounding up the people they don't want around and shipping them off. And uh, this, some of the uh, local Italians are resisting this, uh, so kind of political resistors. And uh, our, the, the film follows some of them primarily, and one of their complicit actors <laughs> uh, is, uh, is a Catholic priest. And the scene, uh, the scene you're probably referring to is one of the scenes towards the spoiler alert <laughs> towards the yeah, climax yeah, of yeah. the movie uh, is when he gets taken in for questioning as well. And there's a whole torture scene and uh, the priest is basically uh, called upon to be complicit with the Nazi regime and has a, a kind of choice to make. And one of the beautiful things in this moment is a shocking is how he at first articulates this very visceral, guttural reaction of like this condemnatory. So he's like, what you guys are doing is terrible. Like kind of God curse you um, to, to these torturers. But then remarkably, it doesn't just end there with this kind of natural human outrage to what's going on. But then offer, he, he kind of repents even in that moment and says, you know, I've, I've overreacted. Like there's a different reaction that 
that you sort of even as like people torturing other people like you like need something like grace as well so shocking but also beautiful moment yeah and spoiler alert what happens to the priest <laughs> do you want to say you, you go go ahead go ahead because because the film the film is is it's it's one of the great early neorealist films in in Italian cinema so so the it, it's okay tell us what happens so if i'm remembering correctly he gets lined up in front of the firing squad is that right and he is executed hmm. yes yes so the other film the flowers of saint francis you 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 uh it's so simple i mean it's almost primitive in in its cinematography it's it's beautiful uh interesting who were the actors it's a, good, chose. it's a good question. Uh, nobody, most people have probably ever heard of. <laughs> um, a lot of the actors in this movie, I think, were actually uh, professed religious monks. So it's a remarkable instance in cinematic history. I don't know how many others there have been where the majority of the people playing religious were actually religious. So it's a pretty kind of cool thing in that respect. Uh, and as you say, that's it is a very simple movie, but also remarkable in the context of a post-Second World War Italian cinematic landscape where there's just been all this devastation and destruction and kind of horrors of war. And I think part of the purpose of making this film was to offer a kind of different vision for what Italians can be. So digging deeper than the kind of fascist recent history to dig up this remarkable Italian from over a thousand years before, or not over a thousand, you know, several hundred years before as, as offering a, a, another, a vision for another way forward. And as you say, it's kind of simple, kind, um, down to earth approach rather than this kind of grand historic kind of conquer the whole world kind of approach. Yeah. And, and Rossellini and Fellini who, worked on the script for St. Francis and then has uh, a, a few choices here on, on the list. They, they weren't very good Catholics, uh, but that doesn't matter, does it? Doesn't matter. I mean, for them, I think it matters, you know, as individuals. <laughs> but uh, for, yeah, the, the art that they were able to, do, to produce, I think it's one of the kind of, I don't know, if it's a paradox or what it is of, of the artistic life of the human life is that we're capable of human beings are capable of great things, even when they aren't in their kind of relationships and choices, maybe great yeah. moral exemplars. Yeah. And he, look, even in, even in Fellini's films in La Dolce Vita and eight and a half, the, the church, the church is a presence there. It's important. Even if the, the characters are, are failing, in their modern angst, the church is there, right? For sure. Yeah. I think Fellini seems to me like, like a guy who is pretty conflicted about religious things and about the moral life in a way. I, it's, it's probably indicative of how we're all probably a little bit conflicted in some area of, uh, you know, overall maybe subscribing, but then, you know, other areas where we're, we kind of have our human foibles. And yeah, Fellini, I think, is a great example of, I think, somebody who retains a moral sense, even sort of deep, going deep into a kind of less than ideally moral lifestyle. 
So that really comes through in the Dolce Vita and I think in his other films as well. Eight and a half, really conflicted central character who, in a sense, isn't living a great life, but like kind of wants to, like wishes he was doing something better, knows he should be doing something better. And so yeah. in this way, I think it's almost a, I don't know if it's too strong to say like an evidence of the triumph of conscience or the ineradicability of conscience, even in, uh, yeah, amidst making other life choices. Yeah, yeah. We jump back to the other side of, of you know, the, the, the planet with Stagecoach, 1939. John Wayne. Why is that on the list? <laughs> yeah, great question. I think some of the some of the films on the list, like this one, maybe Nosferatu, maybe 2001 Space Odyssey. My guess is that they appeared on the list just to say like, hey, science fiction movies are a thing. Western movies are a thing. <laughs> kind of like early notable exemplars of a big meaningful genre in the cinematic landscape so yeah stagecoach the one you mentioned i think is the first like cinematic appearance of the man who became the great john wayne so this is one of the great john ford who's the director of many western movies one of his good uh you know westerns and yeah i think it's it's a good time like a lot of the movies on the list for me as kind of a modern movie watcher who's grown up uh, with relatively sophisticated, like developed cinematic uh, creations, it it can the first watch of something like Stagecoach can come across as like a little bit underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I like for me, and as for like a lot of the movies on this film, it's it's something that really like kind of might stick with you, and then you just kind of go back and you think about it, like hmm, it's actually a deeper and more f- profound and more kind of like interesting movie than it initially comes across as. So I think this is one, yeah. one way that a lot of these films kind of shine. It's not in the instant that you're watching it, but as you kind of think about like their images and ideas and uh, beautiful presentations that they kind of stick with you. And I think that's one of the, one of the main kind of recommendations for these movies is there's something substantial, maybe kind of quietly substantial about many of them. Yeah. Ingmar Bergman, another troubled person when, when I think it comes to, to religious issues. You like the seventh seal, don't you? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's an impressive, impressive movie. One of the really uh, great things about this movie, which I think many critics will place on their, you know, top 100 films of all time or, um, is how intrepidly this agnostic, maybe atheistic director confronts the question of death. Big, scary topic, but the whole kind of setup of the film is a soldier from the Crusades washing up on a beach somewhere and then sitting down to a chess match with a kind of personified (laughs) death. It's a remarkable scene there, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, and this yeah. opens up a lot of the questions, the questions for the church, questions for all of us, right? The same in in, in Wild Strawberries, uh, a Bergman film that was a few years earlier. Uh, what 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 do you find powerful about Wild Strawberries? So, the setup for Wild Strawberries is a professor at the end of his life who is summoned to receive a kind of honorary award, and this was like super simple setup. 
And the whole movie is just him basically driving across Sweden or wherever he's going to collect this honorary doctorate or, or whatever it is. And uh, one of, I think one of the really beautiful things about this movie is how this serves as an opportunity for this character to reflect on his life, its successes, its failures. And I think like in a lot of Bergman films, uh, there are a lot of failures. <laughs> uh, he looks back and basically like, did I fail as a dad? Like, do I, my son seems to be living out a similar life as I did. Is that good or bad? And it all kind of moves in a like relatively dark direction. But then I think one of the triumphs of this movie in the Bergman is that uh, it ends with a kind of glimmer of hope and redemption. So it's that even, uh, even for those of us who have lived lives that, uh, um, that have ups and downs and things that we regret, like in the end, we might be able to like find something that kind of shines. And I think this is, for me, what makes this a really beautiful film. Yeah. Now, Fellini's eight and a half, Otto Emezzo, was first denounced by the Vatican, but then they included on the list. What happened there? <laughs> yeah. So we uh, talk about this a little bit in the introduction to the book. Yeah. But in brief, yeah, this is the, in a, in a way, one of the most extraordinary entries on the list for precisely the reason that you mentioned. It's the only one um, that was first condemned by the Legion of Decency, and then made it onto the approved list uh, the, uh, that the book, our book covers. Um, why did they condemn it in the first? Again, I don't know if we have commentary on, on like why all the decisions were made, but it is a film that is uh, about a man living a life that's not very morally exemplary but does delve into those quandaries very honestly. And I think also um, is interesting in that it is a film about filmmaking and maybe one of the first and the best films about filmmaking. So it appears on the art category of the, of the list. And I think it is a good kind of um, maybe darkly humorous take on some of the goings on in the producing of a film. So it's basically about a guy who's not sure what film he's making and is trying to still trying to navigate with the producers and the actors and all of that. And the film that he ends up making, I think kind of ends up being like the film that we're watching. So it's this very almost like postmodern reflection on like uh, what we're doing while we're doing it, Hall of Mirrors kind of experience, but done kind of consonantly well. So l last question, how often is the list revisited or, or, or updated? Uh, do they look at it every few years and make adjustments? As far as I know, it's been updated exactly zero times. Okay. <laughs> so it came out in 1995. Uh, in 20, what would that be? 2025? No, 2020 would have been the 125th anniversary of film, which might have been a great moment to... Uh, revise or you know add to the list uh, yeah but yeah i'd say we're still waiting for the next installment okay. <laughs> all right well the, the book is popcorn with the pope a guide to the vatican film list 
Professor David Paul Beard, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. Thank you.